following sermon is from the Westminster Pulpit, extending the worship ministry of Westminster Presbyterian Church, Lancaster, Pennsylvania. We are a local congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America. Please contact us for permission before reproducing this message in any format. Tonight we return to Daniel 5 as we finish up this mini two-part series. We're approaching the book of Daniel with two parts for several of the long chapters, especially where there's a need for interpretation uh, from the prophet. And uh, some chapters only take one sermon and some take two, and this is a, a two-sermon chapter that we finish tonight. Back in my peewee days of football and elementary school, our league had a weight limit for the players. For safety purposes, if a player weighed above a particular limit, he could not play on the team or even play for a particular game. And uh, coming under the weight limit was never a problem for me. I was all skin and bones at that age, just like I am today. And I remember on one particular Saturday, one of our players uh, was over the limit. He didn't pass the weight test. And Even after he stripped down to his T-shirt and shorts and socks, he still was about a pound over. So the coach had him running laps around the field trying to burn off a pound. And I think eventually he did pass the test, and his mother ashamedly confessed to feeding him pancakes that morning, which he vowed to never do again. Tonight our text, in a sober way, reminds us of a judgment day to come when we will be weighed. In the scales of God's justice, with much more at stake than playing in a mere football game. I read to you from Daniel 5, beginning in verse 13. Then Daniel was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of the gods is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and to make known to me its interpretation. But they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing... And make known to me its interpretation. You shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, The Most High God gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him, whom he would he killed, and whom he would he kept alive, whom he would he raised up, and whom he would he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up, 
and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly. He was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart. Well, you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you. And you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you have praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which you do not see or hear or know. But the God in whose hand is your breath, and whose are all your ways, you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and this writing was inscribed, and this is the writing that was inscribed, Meany, Meany, Tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Meany, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple. A chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean, king was killed, and Darius the Mede received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. This is God's holy and inspired word. Let us pray. Father, these are sobering words. These are words that remind us that you alone are God. And every human person will stand before you in judgment one day. We thank you for the warning. We thank you for the provision you've given us in Christ to be prepared for that day. And I pray that you would give us your spirit to understand the meaning and purpose of this text. We might live for your praise and honor. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Almost two years ago, my Yahoo email account was hacked, apparently by somebody in Europe. And uh, this hacker sent spam emails to hundreds of people, friends and family and church people and former schoolmates and so forth. And uh, I found out about the problem hours later when I received back all kinds of delivery notice failures and a few notes from friends explaining to me what had happened. And I, of course, promptly changed my password and got a report from Yahoo email to prevent a future thing from happening again. I did receive one email from a woman who's not a part of this church who offered me a mild complaint. She did not realize I had been hacked. And to her, it seemed like a genuine spam sent from myself. And when she clicked on the link, it took her to like a, a weight loss program, selling services and uh, various supplements. 
And in her email to me, in a godly manner, just confessed her own sensitivity with her weight and expressed she was very hurt that I would send her an email promoting such services and products. And I very quickly responded with an apology explaining this, I did not send this email. I don't, I don't sell weight loss services. I, I would never send this, especially not to a woman. <laughs> there are certain things you just don't say to a woman. I've learned my lessons. And while this woman may have a modest physical weight problem, she certainly didn't have a spiritual weight problem. You know, there are many people who are aware of their physical weight problem but many fewer are aware of their spiritual weight problem. And even less do something about it. In our text, the prophet Daniel confronts King Belshazzar, who has a serious spiritual weight problem. The interpretation of the handwriting on the wall says that he has been weighed in the balance and found wanting. He is a man of false measures and false weights. He is lacking in substance. He is an empty man who has built up a reputation on pretense, image, show, and appearances. He has sadly rejected and spurned the living God and himself will be rejected on Judgment Day. I believe this text writes to warn us that those who are weighed and found empty of the things of God, will perish. But those weighed and found filled with the merits of Christ will enter into eternal glory. I really just want to explore two main points with you tonight. One's weightlessness without Christ, but one's weightiness in Christ. King Belshazzar, like many men of positions of honor and power, was a spiritual lightweight. And his weightlessness can be best observed by his attitudes towards people and God. Well, his weightless attitude towards people is revealed in the way he addresses the prophet Daniel. Having already been chastened by the blunt advice of the queen mother that we looked at last week, The king receives Daniel in a spirit of disdain, in a condescending tone. This Daniel, who had been the chief wise man to his predecessor, King Nebuchadnezzar, Belshazzar refers to Daniel merely as an exile from the land of Judah to emphasize that he is a nobody from nowhere special, to further express his skepticism as he recounts what the queen has said about Daniel's abilities and gifts, he prefaces each list with, I've heard of you. I've heard it said of you that you have the spirit of the gods, wisdom and insight, the ability to interpret riddles and solve great mysteries and problems. The king informs Daniel that all the wise men of Babylon had not been able to give an interpretation for this mysterious text written on the court walls. He supposes to say, why should he believe Daniel is able to crack the code? Weightless people inflate themselves and deflate others. 
They are quick to praise themselves while hoard praise from others. Such weightless persons treat people as mere tools to serve their own agenda. In their mind, people can be bought. Every man has his price, which is revealed in the final things the king says in reiterating the promise of reward that will be given for the man who can give an interpretation. Well, in Daniel's response, it begins in verse 17, which is followed by a lengthy speech, delves into the deeper spiritual weight problems of this king, namely his attitude towards the living God. Daniel begins by alluding to Belshazzar's complete lack of accomplishment by highlighting the greatness of King Nebuchadnezzar, his predecessor. And notice that Daniel credits God. It was God who gave Nebuchadnezzar glory and majesty before whom all the peoples of the earth trembled. In Nebuchadnezzar's hand was the power of life and death to execute and to pardon at will. But then Nebuchadnezzar grew proud. The text says his spirit was hardened. It's a unique phrase in Scripture to my knowledge. And consequently, God removed him from the throne and took away his glory. Nebuchadnezzar was like a great hot air balloon, soaring over his kingdom and all of his glory. But his balloon got too big, like the size of his head. And God popped it, bringing forth his downfall, the downfall of his pride into humiliation. Nebuchadnezzar had disdain towards God and men. So God humbled him, inflicting him with a condition similar to lycanthropy, a psychological condition of delusion where one thinks he is an animal. And the king Nebuchadnezzar dwelt among the donkeys and ate grass like the ox until he acknowledged that the Most High was the true God over all the kingdoms of the earth. Nebuchadnezzar humbled himself. He repented and gave glory to the true God. In contrast, Belshazzar had not. Daniel calls out this pitiful excuse of a king who knew the story of his predecessor and failed to learn from it. This little king who lacked deeds and yet had an inflated ego. And his actions tell the story, his sacrilegious use of the sacred vessels of God's holy temple, offering praise to the false gods of precious stones and resources, demonstrate contempt towards God and to God's people. Belshazzar soared high in his own mind, and God would bring him low, deflated, never to rise again. When I was younger, I dreamed of being an astronaut. Growing up in Houston, Texas, we would occasionally visit NASA where we would learn about space exploration. I thought it would be cool to experience weightlessness, floating about in the air 
without the effects of gravity to hold you steady. It seemed like fun, and would be fun for a while, if it weren't for the long-term effect of weightlessness on the human body. Astronauts who spend too much time in space develop a weakening of the bones and the muscles. The bones actually become hollow because it's not under the regular force and pressure of gravity. And without regular exercise, their return to Earth can be a disaster. People who do not consider seriously the gravity of God's righteousness and holiness become hollow and cannot bear up under the weight of God's glory. There are many weightless men in the Bible. Esau was weightless, who traded away his birthright, who forfeited his eternal inheritance in the Lord for a cup of soup to fill his belly for a day. King Saul, who began his reign with courage and triumph, soon thereafter quickly descended and failed leadership. Lack of self-control, jealous fits of rage, manipulative abuse of power, paranoia that everyone was out to get him, and murderous injustice. He was a hollow man filled with insecurity, false piety, self-doubt, selfish ambition. He refused to humble himself to listen to godly counsel and died a failure and disgrace. Judas was a weightless man who betrayed our Lord for 30 pieces of silver. And when he could not bear the weight of his own shame and guilt, he ended his life in despair. The weightiness of a person is measured by what they do. Far more than what they say they have done or say they will do. I'm sure some of you are familiar with Doug Phillips, the founder of Vision Form, a ministry for the last decade or more that advocates a pro-family message Christian values, providing homeschool resources. Doug Phillips has been a popular conference speaker for years. It turns out that a year ago he resigned as an elder on his church board. And yet continued his public ministry for the better part of eight months. And then he went public with an extramarital affair with a young woman on his staff and in his church apparently after being confronted by his own board. He did issue a public apology, and his board promptly shut down the Ministry of Vision Forum. As I was reading about the story recently in World Magazine, I was picked up on some of the quotes of people who had admired this man, calling him their hero. He was a hero and advocate for family values and Christian virtues and male leadership and headship, all these great things. I'm afraid that such people did not weigh him carefully. I grew skeptical and disillusioned about this ministry 10 years ago. I want to explain why. My wife and I used to get get the catalog from this ministry. 
And in one of their issues about nine or ten years ago, they went on the attack against J.K. Rowling, the author of the Harry Potter series. And I totally get that some Christians disagree with her work. I wrote a letter challenging this ministry, advocating that they misunderstood the genre of Rowling's work, suggesting that they pick better cultural battles to fight. It was done in respect, and I was hoping for a respectful response. What I got was a scathing response, a venomous attack from one of his staffers, filled with arrogance and disrespect. My wife and I promptly ended any support, purchase of their resources. We did not want their catalog. And I was also disturbed by the nature of the catalog, which usually presented what I would call vanity, of the, the image of the perfect Christian family, decked out and dressed up. I'm afraid a ministry reflecting its leader in its vanity and its arrogance. I call it sad. I call it disturbing. When a leader thinks that he is special, where God's rules, where God's word does not apply to him, whose ego is filled with the void, empty nothings of this life. Like our figures in Scripture, God pops bubble. God exposes the double life, and I believe it's a good thing when God does that. Humbling the Christian community, reminding us of our own weakness and vulnerability, reminding us not to idolize our Christian leaders to worship the Lord Jesus Christ and him alone. Their hope, Doug Phillips' hope, our only hope, is that Christ would fill the void in our own hearts, to fill up our empty soul, to give us the true, eternal weight of Christ that is more precious than gold. Well, tonight we weigh in the balance with a comparison between this weightless king and one whose true weight is in Christ. In response to King Belshazzar, Daniel demonstrates that he is both faithful to God in the fear of God. Daniel opens his address to the king by refusing this promise of rewards, in likeness to Father Abraham, who refused the promise of spoil from the king of Sodom, not wanting to grant this pagan king the boasting of having made Abraham rich. Daniel's faithful track record is clear in the text where he repeatedly tells the truth against hostile ears. His original weighty refusal against unclean foods, interpreting two disturbing dreams to the most powerful man on earth, one who had threatened his own magicians and wise men with death. Daniel was a faithful instrument whom God used to lead Nebuchadnezzar to humble repentance. But now before this vain and arrogant king Belshazzar, Daniel will not placate him. He will not pacify him. He does not tell him, O king, live forever. Because he knows what's going to happen that very night. Belshazzar had not sought the counsel of Daniel, but had surrounded him by yes-men. 
those who would only tell him what he wanted to hear. And yet, the divine handwriting on the wall, the queen mother's boldness, and thirdly, Daniel's faithfulness, forced him into the scales to be weighed and to be found empty without Christ. Daniel's weightiness in the fear of God, demonstrated by his refusal of the king's rewards, telling the truth, and not fearing the king's retribution. Now, this was to accompany this assembly in which there was no fear of God. This court were unlike their predecessors, who less than two centuries before had repented at the preaching of Jonah. But now Daniel tells it plain to them that the king's days are numbered, that he had been weighed in the balance and found wanting, that his kingdom would be divided between the Medes and the Persians. Daniel had learned to fear God, who had humbled his own people, sending them into exile, who had protected his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, from the fiery furnace. This was a God worthy of fear and praise compared to the weightless gods of Babylon, Bel and Marduk, who could not keep the hand of God outside the king's court and would not prevent the Persian armies from invading that great city. Belshazzar would fear God as he entered into his presence that very night to be weighed and to be found worthy of eternal disgrace. In The Great Divorce, a masterful work by C.S. Lewis, a brilliant masterpiece, we have the fantastical tale of condemned souls of hell making a visit to heaven as though they were given an opportunity to reconsider their eternal state. C.S. Lewis describes these souls as weak, frail, empty, weightless Practically see-through. They are lacking substance. They are complainers and end up preferring their own eternal pity party to the endless delights of entering heavenly glory. Every step these condemned souls take in heaven is painful for them. In great contrast, Lewis paints the picture of the redeemed who have great girth and substance Enjoy. And repeatedly the redeemed tried to beckon and graciously win over those who are condemned, encouraging them to abandon their pride and their pet sins, their petty excuses, and to join the everlasting joy of God's eternal presence. Our text makes this contrast quite clear between the weightless soul and the one that is weighty. In Christ, the Old Testament word for glory, kabod, literally means weighty. Daniel was weighty because he was consumed with God's glory. Belshazzar was weightless because he was absorbed with his own glory. Belshazzar filled himself with vain, empty things of this world, whereas Daniel filled himself with the eternal weight of God's 
consuming glory. This contrast is spelled out well by the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 4, where he writes, For this slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison, as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Friend, if you have a spiritual weight problem, how do you put on weight in Christ? Well, as I mentioned earlier, in my younger years, my junior high years, I was just skin and bones. And to play football, I wanted to bulk up to add on some weight, so I ate like a horse, consuming a foot and a half of sandwich from Subway, downing two bacon double cheeseburgers from Burger King without a problem, I had a rigorous weight training program in the gym, adding more weight, trying to bulk up, trying to strengthen my body. I was impressed by Olympic swimmer Michael Phelps from two summers ago who ate 10,000 calories a day, which he burned off in the pool through his rigorous three- or four-hour daily workout. Spiritual weight gain is a matter of discipline, of exercise, a steady diet on the milk and the meat of God's Word. It means participating in worship, listening intently to godly biblical sermons, going to the Lord in prayer, engaging in both individual and group study of Scripture. As a young Christian, all of these things came very natural to me. I was very zealous in my early years as a young believer, which as time wore on, grew into a more disciplined and healthy diet of discipleship. I offer you a warning. Those of you who want to put on spiritual weight, be careful. Because it's easy to read the Scripture and adopt for yourself the mentality, well, just be like Daniel. Daniel's intimidating. Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they're up there with with Joseph of Genesis, who are just these stellar saints, seemingly flawless. But I remind you that the vast majority of the saints in the Scriptures are deeply flawed, are deeply broken by sin and desperate need of God's grace. I remind you that King Saul's counterpart was David who began his career with courage and zeal, a man after God's own heart, who later caved into his lust, committing murderous greed. For a time, David appeared just like Belshazzar, no better than King Saul. But when weighed in the balance, he was found to be repentant and humble, filled with the weight of God's glory, not his own. His psalms are refreshing. Where he writes with a contrite heart, a broken heart, confession of sin, joy in God, adoration and worship, thanksgiving and gratitude, delighting in God's law, which holds him accountable to a life that is pleasing in the sight of God. Judas's counterpart 
was the Apostle Peter. They both betrayed Christ. One for money, the other out of fear of man, denying his Lord three times. The Lord rebuked both of these men, yet their responses revealed the measure of weight in their souls. Judas was found to be empty, consumed with himself, greedy for money, an easy target for the devil's schemes. Peter proved to be a man of substance. Though deeply flawed, he turned away from his self-focus to gaze upon the Lord Jesus Christ, who offered him grace and forgiveness and acceptance. True joy. Everlasting satisfaction does not come from the weightless pleasures of earth, from the false gods and their promises, nor does it come from the weighty religious duties, weighing ourselves down with heavy burdens of the law and a matter of legalistic performance. No, real hope is trusting in him, the one who had little by way of earthly possessions, in whom was no beauty or majesty, born in a manger, working as a humble carpenter whose ministry was characterized by a consuming passion for his Father's glory and whose perfect life was weighed in the balance and coupled with his sacrificial death made satisfaction for sins. Friend, embrace him. Abide with him. Cling to him. Come to him. Humble yourself before him that you too, on that great and awesome day, will be weighed in the balance and to be found to possess the eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. Let us pray. Gracious God, our Father, we thank you that in Christ Jesus, we who are empty and weak are filled to the measure of all the fullness of God, the eternal weight of glory that is ours in Christ. May we be a people who live for his praise, his honor, and his glory forever and ever. Amen.